Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. Additionally, I founded the consultancy P&N Pricing and Negotiations in Healthcare based in Toronto, Canada, which supports companies and individuals globally by coaching, simulations and training, especially on negotiations. This service is including our innovative virtual reality simulation program and is part of the Negotiation Lab. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. Market access in general can obviously also be defined even broader in comparison to the to the way we are normally doing it here within the podcast episode. I mean, we're normally taking market access a bit more tight, I would say, uh, just defining it as reimbursement or funding and everything related to that. But for this episode today, we're even broadening it a bit. And we'll do that also in the future with different other regulatory agencies. But today we're starting with Health Canada. Health Canada is the Department of the Government of Canada responsible for the National Health Policy. So they are also, besides other different requirements and regulation, they are also responsible for the regulation of drugs and medical devices. So what we all know also from the different regulatory agencies across the world, whether it's the US FDA, the European EMA, also the, the Swiss, Swiss Medic, for example, but also from others, is obviously that they are mainly driven also by the clinical data itself. So of course, it's the quality, it's the quality of the data, it's the safety itself, also driven, obviously, again, by those clinical data, but finally, also by the, for example, comparator, the endpoints within those clinical trials, and that it finally meets that kind of um, risk-benefit ratio. Anyhow, we are not discussing and focusing today on those kind of detailed requirements, on the content, let's say, Today, we want to discuss more broadly, so more on top-level basis, about the processes for drug approvals, for, for medical device approvals. And we also want to focus today a bit what and how should companies, especially maybe coming from outside of Canada, meaning, for example, from the US, but also from Europe, and what to do if they want to enter Canada, obviously successfully, before they would even need to think and discuss and finally negotiate with the payers in Canada. And for that, I have invited and happy to Fradiani Sevignier um, on board for that episode. She's a big regulatory expert in Canada with a lot of experience already. She worked also on different aspects here. She was director of compliance at Dolorama. She was uh, working at PharmaScience on different kind of levels here with the head of quality and compliance, director of regulatory affairs, and many, many more of different um, roles. Good, a, a, a quite nice and hopefully not too cold uh, morning to Canada. Um, happy to have you on the episode today. Good morning, Stefan, and I'm very happy to join you this morning as well. Very good. So um, normally we're discussing here in that podcast um, 
pretty much more around market access defined as, let's say, reimbursement and funding and those kind of issues. But today we're broadening it a bit. I think that was also a bit the idea for the future in Europe, for example, with the EMA. But today we're starting in Canada. So thinking about the regulatory approval in Canada, especially and obviously, but not only, but especially also for our clients um, in the US who are maybe as well further and maybe first moving into Canada and then later on potentially thinking about Europe. But before going into that kind of direction, could you as an expert maybe briefly explain the regulatory approval process for drugs in Canada? Um, it's my pleasure to do that. The, the regulatory process for a drug in Canada is what we call um, a new drug submission process. And this is managed by Health Canada, the HPFB Bureau. And this new drug submission contains information and data about the drug's safety, efficacy, and quality. It also includes results of preclinical and clinical studies. Whether done in Canada or elsewhere, foreign studies can be integrated into applications in Canada, and it definitely contains detail regarding the production of the drug, the packaging, the labeling details, which is very specific to Canada, and uh, information regarding any therapeutical claims or side effect. So in that regards, not much difference from what uh, you would see in the, in the U.S., once Health Canada complete a thorough review of the submission package containing all these information, then it renders a decision for uh, access, risk and benefits. And based on that, the decision is made whether or not the drug is approval for, for Canada. Once the drug is approved, the drug is uh, assigned a drug identification number, which we call a DIN, D-I-N. Um, in, it's similar to the NDC in the in the states, but here in Canada we call it a DIN. And the uh, applicant receive what we call a notice of compliance, an NOC, which confirms approval of the drug. And at the end of this process, the basis of the decision, report, and conclusion and risk assessment of Canada becomes a public information that can be consulted, uh, obviously, with um, marketing and and. and Pri private information um, redacted uh, to the to the public. So, in in nutshell, that's the step and 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 the process. Uh, I can go into more details about timeline and specific content, but overall, that's uh, that's a summary of yeah. what is the process. Thanks of all. Uh, first of all, I think that's um, really a very good kind of a nice summary. I mean, you were just mentioning the timing. And actually, obviously, that, that is also one of the core questions, right? How long does such a kind of process normally, we all know the exceptions, but normally take? There are standard uh, time, like similar to the U U.S. as what they call the PDUFA dates, which is 10 months in U.S. In Canada, the standard time is, also, is about 300 days. So it's similar to, to the U.S., but you always need to keep in mind that that time depends on how your re review process is going. And, and there is what we call clock stops, similarly to the U.S. But overall, a good submission that's well prepared can very well be approved within a year. 
but we'll see often that it may take up to two years, depending on how your review process is going and whether or not there's um, recommendation, deviations that need to be addressed during the process. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, th- I think yeah, that's that. That sounds very reasonable. I mean, you're just already mentioning. I think that's the let's say regular kind of timelines what you could at least hopefully expect, right? And it depends a lot on on let's say also the questions and requests and and stuff like that from Health Canada in this case. Um, w- when you would think about let's say the core requirements, I'm more coming let's say from the efficacy side. Um, uh, is is that especially also more driven? for sure about the quality of the clinical data itself, but is that also driven by the, let's say, by by that you have an RCT, for example, randomized controlled trial, or maybe also by the different endpoints and comparators, what we see also in the US, but also in Europe, for example? For sure, the clinical data is is the driver. It's yeah. uh, it's it's the main basis on the decision. Um, what I always recommend to do is before going into a submission is have some pre-submission meetings with the health authorities just to confirm uh, that uh, the expectation and the, the 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 design of the clinical study complies to Canada uh, requirement. And I remember personally having the experience where I was working for um, a U.S. Uh, company who had a Canadian office and affiliate here in, in Canada. And we were trying to register one of the drugs that they had previously um, submitted in the U.S., and when we, ha- we arrive at the pre-submission meeting here with Health Canada, we summarize the clinical data that was uh, provided for the U.S. submission that was deemed acceptable for FDA. Mm. And Health Canada had additional requirement on the clinical study. We ended up not filing the submission at the time because that would implicate additional costs that were not a business decision that the company wanted to make at the time. So definitely it's important to have those pre-submission mm-hmm. meetings just to make sure that expectations uh, for the clinical design are aligned. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I mean, understanding what finally Health Canada in this case would want to see the requirements of that and if you can as well fulfill it. Very good point, absolutely. Definitely. And uh, other challenge also that um, pharmaceutical companies uh, have met with Health Canada is um, not only on the clinical, but there are some specific um, limitation with Health Canada and uh, and the CGPA, which is the Canadian Generic uh, Pharmaceutical Association, prepared a position paper on that issue and uh, and also had uh, some meetings with Health Canada to to request uh, alignment to facilitate global. Uh, global registration and, and 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 global approval. One of the things that came up that Health Canada is often more um, stringent is on, for example, um, if a company files a drug in the U.S., the the registration will be solely based on USP standards. Mm. As Health Canada, if there's a BP standard available or an EP standard available, Health Canada will add those standards in addition to the USP standard. Um, here's an example of where uh, there could be some differences with with uh, between Canada and and the US. We've also find that in the review process. Health Canada sometimes um, um, requires more stringent um, um, verification, for example, require in-process 
blend uniformity, fill limits for injectables. So sometimes U.S. companies are a little bit surprised when they file in Canada to realize that Health Canada requests a, a tighter controls, tighter limits, where these uh, pre previous limits were, were accepted in the U.S., so again, it's a case-by-case -case decision. The, mm. Cal Canada make its own risk-based assessment, and it's definitely important to have those pre-submission meeting coming into uh, for approval of a new drug. Yes, I, a perfect summary, <laughs> very, uh, very clear. Um, we have now spoken uh, a bit about drugs and the approval process. Are there any differences if we are moving a bit into the medical device area for Health Canada? Uh, the, the the medical device there's definitely uh, some uh, some difference there as well. Um, the medical device process in Canada is um, there are classification which is class one, uh, class one to uh, to one two three and four medical device. Um, the type of uh, the the. The, the, the time for approval is much faster in Canada. Um, you and, and and one of the things that's really important to notice is the cost. The cost of registration uh, in in Canada is is much lower than in the U.S. So, for example, uh, for a class two medical device, the, the the license can be issued within fifteen calendar days. Um, class three, it's about. 75 calendar days, class four could be up to 90 calendar days. But when you compare the cost of registration, at maximum, a medical device here in Canada would cost, uh, if you go look at the class four, um, around $30,000, where in the US, if you have a complex medical device that requires a, a pre-market application, a PMA, it's more than four hundred thousand dollars for the registration. So this is where there's a big uh, there's a big difference um, in the medical device registration. Um, the frame to be able to sell a medical device in Canada is um, is twofold. For class one medical device, there's no need for registration of that medical device because it's considered a low risk device. So all it takes. It's for um, the importer of that medical device to have uh, a license, an importation license for medical device. And for a class two, three, and four medical device, the manufacturer must register the device and the device has its own registration and a number and its own uh, its own approval that needs to appear uh, on the label of, uh, of the device as well. So um not sure much more detail you 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 want to know about that, but it's there's two stream, one for class one medical device, which is a lighter process, and another one for the class two uh up to four medical device. And the fees for those registration depend on the class of the medical device and timeline, uh timeline as well. Regardless, the importation license for the medical device is something that um that costs about five thousand dollars. It's a quick a relatively quick administrative process that can be done within a couple of months interesting yeah i think that 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 sounds really let's say fast and obviously in comparison to the us as well quite um well let's say at least less costly right um definitely 
when when I, I would, let's say when we have spoken beforehand on drugs and you know the efficacy with the evidence obviously driver etc and obviously with the different classes now um in the medical device area let's maybe take the class one out there because i mean as you said low risk um etc but if if we're going into the class two three four you have already said that it might take a bit longer it, i would assume that also the requirements would be different obviously between medical devices and drugs, but also within those different medical device, let's say risk classes. Is that right? Yes, definitely. There are some preset requirements that are defined, um, almost like guidelines for different types of drugs, uh, sorry, different types of device. Uh, But one thing that I would like to highlight regarding the medical device is the fact that for a medical device to be approved in Canada, the site manufacturing the medical device must have an MDSAP certification. It's a medical device quality system. Um, in in um, in the US, there is a 21 CFR guideline, and the site must comply to that. There's also the ISO guideline for medical device that's applicable in US, but Canada does not recognize any of these two. So it's really important for a company who plans to import a medical device in Canada to ensure that the site who manufactured the device has gone through an MDSAP certification. And, and that's one of these conditions that you just can't negotiate, you can't work around it. Right. I mean, that's uh, that, that's already quite uh, quite interesting. I mean, you, you're probably already up. Um, there are a couple of key and main differences between the US and Canada. I mean, if we take that maybe a bit around, and you can probably let's say, go both pathways, right? One for drugs and maybe one more general on medical devices, not to go maybe into uh, too much of, of, of the details between the different risk classes. But what would be the kind of recommendations for companies, let's say US companies focusing on that, um, wanting to move over into Canada? What should they basically consider when they, let's say, start thinking about their regulatory approval process for Health Canada? I would say, um, depending on if the drug is already um, approved in the U.S., probably the first step is to do a gap assessment mm-hmm. um, to look at the submission package. And I'm going to give the example of the drug. Look at the submission package to do a gap assessment and look what what um, what needs to be updated in relation to this submission. For example, um, internationally, um, now the standard for preparation of a drug submission package is the ICH standard, which com- recommends the CTD structure. And the CTD structure has what we call module one, module two, and module three. Um, so the module one is definitely the section that is regional specific. And it will integrate the forms and and administrative um, information that is really specific to Health Canada. An example of one of those administrative processes that is specific to Health Canada. If uh, a a sponsor wants to register a drug 90 days before the actual date of uh, of submission, the company must have... um, initiated the process for to provide the GMP evidence 
of that manufacturing site. It means that an importer must have initiated the process to amend its importation license to integrate that manufacturing site on its license. And that must be done 90 days before filing the submission. And that letter, that evidence that this registration was done is part of the module one. So that's something that's very unique to, to Health Canada. So in each module, there are some specific that will be added. So what's why I'm saying, do a gap assessment and find out what needs to be added for the region. Module two is what we call the quality overall summary. And that module two um, also uh, will discuss some non-clinical and clinical overview. Again, that is something that sometimes needs to be customized for Canada. Module three, which is the quality module, um, and uh, that's usually standard. That's just CMC section, and that's driven by your manufacturing um, records and standards and specification uh, and, and your batch data and all your method validation. So the module three, it's it's pretty much um it's the area where there's usually less changes required. But again, um, sometimes Health Canada has some specific requirements on specification, on in-process control limits. So you want to also do a gap assessment and confirm that uh, everything complies to that. And there's also what we, the module four and five, which are respectively the non-clinical data and the clinical module. Um, so I would recommend to start by looking at the submission and do a gap assessment and fill in the and filling the differences. Um, so that's uh, that's one one element of it. Another thing also that um, a company may want to consider, it's uh, related to the API that's going to be used in the U.S. Um, the API manufacturer would normally file what we call a drug master file for the API. Um, the whole process needs to be repeated for Canada because Canada has its own drug master file system. And one of the things that Health Canada also prefers and, and recommend is for the drugs used in the um, application have a CEP, a European Certificate of Suitability. Uh, that there's a fast track or kind of an expedited review of the API package when the uh, drugs in the submission has already been issued to see a certificate of suitability from the Europe agencies. So there's a there's a couple of elements like that that needs to be considered. And my recommendation would be to start by doing a, a detailed gap assessment. Thanks a lot. I think that uh, that explains a lot how to really do that probably even stepwise i think um uh, uh that's a that's a quite nice summary would you have uh let's say given so far i mean you have also mentioned a couple of times on let's say country specifics or regional kind of adaptations those kind of things and um, i mean when i hear that and maybe link it back to also let's take some of the discussions we had with some of our clients from the US, but also let's say from Europe, for example, um, especially maybe taking Switzerland as well into account, where um, uh, if, if you might know, they are not part of the European Union, meaning if they would want to have a regulatory approval, they have their own regulatory approval process similar to Health Canada, let's say, right? Then it's just with uh, Swiss Medic. But I mean, what I was more thinking about, I mean, we have that, well, let's say we, generally there is that mm -hmm. quite new project OBIS um, available, which is obviously only 
let's say, related to oncology products. But my kind of, pre- of impression from outside, not being a regulatory expert, was that this might ease a bit the way and those adaptations you have just, uh, let's say, spoken about. Is that correct? Do you have any experience with Project Orbis? Uh, unfortunately, I've never uh, submitted uh, one of those special access, but there are um, the spe- special access programs have been there uh, for, for, for a while in, in Health Canada. And this is one of the new special access program um, targeting a particular um, type of, of drug. And I see them almost as um, any other special access product. The difference is that this is targeting uh, this is that targeting oncology product. Um, yes, those special access programs definitely facilitate uh, approval. It expedites. I wouldn't say that it reduces the the requirements. It just expedites the process. Um, Health Canada, for example, will not accept. A, 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 a wider specification, let's say, it, and for assay, for example, the standard is 95 to 105 percent at release. Health Canada will not necessarily accept uh, a 110 to 120 um, because it's, it's project orbit. What they do is that they will create a mechanism to expedite that review. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, it's, it definitely helps. Um, looking at the literature or the, the, the data available on, on Project Orbis, what I've seen is that, for example, in the first year of implementation of, of this program, um, I think there was about 12 applications done for Canada. And from those 12, eight, eight were approved. So it's it's relatively um, good rate of, uh, of success for, for a first year for a program. And the basis of, of uh, acceptance is, is really, to me, similar to any other expedite um, review uh, program. It's a drug that has a high impact clinic, clinically significant and uh, on a marketing application. So it needs to have a high impact and bring significantly clinical value for, for the market. Um, and it also um, is based on making sure that there's a priority review that is, again, based on the safety and the efficacy of the drug. And they will not compromise on that because it's a special access or uh, expedite review uh, review application. And it still needs to be a product that in any other situation would have met the general criteria to be classified as a drug on a special uh, expedite review. Perfect. Yeah, I I, th- I think you, you just brought up a couple of very important things, right? I think it's, a, it's especially also, it needs to be a product with a potentially big impact, let's say, on society, on the patient, et cetera. And that, that is, I think, also already a quite difficult um, um, let's say, point to achieve. Um, do you have any insights how that would basically, let's say, work more from a, maybe call it a pragmatic point of view? I mean, if I would be a U.S. company, I would be interested in Project Orbis and would also have Canada in my mind. How, what would be those kind of next steps? Is that maybe approaching you and you would then maybe prepare them to go then to Health Canada already, obviously with a pre, uh, let's say, well, it's probably prepared kind of files, or would that also, let's say, include uh, one of those, let's say, pre-consultation meetings? 
Well, I can definitely help uh, directing just to make sure to 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 get to the right doors and and have the right access and 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 follow the right path to 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 advance in that process. But I was just jumping on what you're saying, um, the priority review and and how do you bring significant market value? Market value can be on the on the price. It could be mm-hmm. on um, on targeting a population that is that an, un, an unmet need for specific disease or for a group of population. Um, so often, when the new drug is is uh, is developed, it is developed with the purpose to ha- to 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 meet an unmet need. So a- again, usually new drugs would fit into this this category. Um, generates probably less because there's already an equivalent. So it's, it would be harder to make a case with a, with a new generic, but it may be still possible on the basis of the cost saying that um, the, the the generic drug that would be brought for that particular oncology indication would be at a lesser cost for the market. So there's there's more than one option to show value. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Perfect. Okay, perfect. I think that that was it already. I think um, very detailed, obviously, uh, let's say requirements finally needed. I think uh, within those couple of minutes we have just spoken, it was obviously only possible to give a kind of top level introduction, but I think it gave already a good good, um, kind of overview between, let's say, the drug approval process, the medical device differences as well, even within the medical device areas, but also um, the different kind of, let's say, adaptations, if you think, let's say, coming from the US, for example, into Health Canada. And we have also quickly touched base on Project Office. Thanks a lot for your insights. Looking forward to further discussion with you in the future. It was a pleasure. Thank you for the time as well. Great insights from Fridiani on the Canadian regulatory system. I think very important, I think she was just confirming that the let's say requirements are probably very similar in general on top level, especially when you're thinking about the drug approval process, meaning you need to have safety, efficacy, and quality, obviously, right? That finally the risk benefit ratio is being met. However, I think very important what she also said, and she was she was even coming up with a quite nice example that sometimes there are really big differences between, for example, the US, but also other agencies and Health Canada. So there were already cases where a product and the whole file was accepted, for example, by the US FDA, but Health Canada wanted to have and see more and more detailed kind of data and information, which is sometimes a bit tricky also for companies to fulfill. So that's where she was also, and again, saying that a pre-submission meeting is really important, maybe even more than one. And that is even applicable, not only for the drug approval process, but also in terms of medical devices. In the medical device area, it's also very important to differentiate here a bit between the different risk classes. Risk class one, low risk is obviously nothing to really discuss even further in that very, uh, let's say, um, structured kind of process. I think if you go there a bit more in the risk classes two, three, and four, it is already seen that this can be achieved already in terms of registration between 15 days for risk class two products and 90 days for risk class four products. 
Big difference also here when you compare it, for example, with the at least on average 300 days for the drug approval process. I think we all know also that those days are just, let's say, estimations and we might even have, let's say, different, let's call it outliers, especially if there might be some questions, some critical questions on the data package. Independent of that, I think, again, and uh, Fradiani was really focused and pushing on that, is that such a pre-submission meeting is an important component, and especially also before and around that pre-submission meeting, a so-called gap assessment would be really, really important in order to see also the very specific country and regional adaptations, for example, needed also then for a successful submission. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.